What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Alejandro Suniga, here from the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. The Michigan football team takes its show on the road for the first time this season as they head to Lincoln, Nebraska to face the Cornhuskers at Memorial Stadium. And we're going to talk about it, get Nebraska's perspective on welcoming in the number two team in the country as they themselves are a rebuilding program using the Wolverines as their blueprint. Then we're going to turn our attention to Michigan State and Ohio State, two programs going in different directions this season, talking where the Spartans go from here after another blowout loss, and then catching up with all the news that surrounded Ohio State, both from South Bend and in the postgame comments from Ryan Day that followed. It's a fun episode, so let's dive right in. Welcoming to the show, Brian Christopherson, who covers the Nebraska Cornhuskers over at 24-7 for Husker 24-7. Brian had a chance to talk to Matt Rule during Big Ten Media Days. He's coming into a program that requires quite a bit of a rebuild, right? And and Nebraska started the season 2-2 losses at Minnesota and at Colorado, but then come back and and beat Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech to get to 2-2. What's the vibe? of the Nebraska program as it's year one of what's presumably going to be a multi-year rebuild process. Yeah. I think the biggest thing rule has stressed. And I think most of the fan base is in step with him is that you can't skip steps in this process of building this. And I think Michigan fans to a degree can appreciate that when they go back to the start of Harbaugh, when he came to Ann Arbor, Michigan was much further along at that point I feel like than Nebraska is right now but I remember those first couple years with Harbaugh um, specific games where you felt like he's instilling a mindset in the trenches with this team that is for the big picture and it's not just about this specific Saturday necessarily obviously you want to win but I do see some of that with with rule and um, like I say it might take a a longer time and it might be a tougher build than, than Harbaugh's had. But um, he said he doesn't want year two to feel like year one. So that's the biggest deal here is to just keep making steps throughout this season where ideally they make a bowl game. That's a weird drought that Nebraska's had since uh, 2016, which is amazing to say out loud, but it's true. And um, that's sort of the goal, I think, for the fan base is for them to get to six wins or something like that and play in the postseason and then build from that foundation. Uh, but the biggest thing for Rule is just week by week getting his team better. And so that next year we're not sitting here saying, um, oh, they're in the same spot they were, you know, last September. You feel like they've actually uh, covered some ground in that 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 uh, time period. Well, speaking of of not being in the same spot as you were the year before, I was reading up on your guys' coverage over on Husker 24-7 because I know one of the big questions for this week is who's going to be the quarterback for Nebraska, right? Uh, and it seems like 
from the the highlights I've seen from the film, I, I guess not real film, but the highlight packages I've seen and from your guys' coverage, it looks like it could be, you know, one of three guys, maybe three guys playing, right? There was Jeff Sims, uh, who, who was a Georgia Tech transfer, started the season, got injured against Colorado. It looked like that was an ankle sprain. Turnovers were a big issue for him. Uh, there's a, a younger guy, Harburg, uh, who, who's running option and triple option football, uh, very classic stuff in Nebraska and has helped lead that team to a couple wins. But then we saw Chubba Purdy come in, uh, for the end of the game last weekend. Uh, that's a guy Michigan fans are familiar with because he played a good chunk of that game last year in Ann Arbor. So I know you don't have the answer of who's going to be starting at quarterback on Saturday. I know part of that's going to be, you know, who's healthy, who's playing best in practice throughout the week. Uh, but specifically the first two, Heinrich Harburg, Jeff Sims, what do they bring uh, if they're the ones who get the snaps on Saturday? Well, there's a lot of Harburg momentum within the fan base right now. It, it's it's a tough topic to, to nail down because Harburg has done his job uh, pretty well um, for a young QB the last two weeks. He's also played against competition in Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech that wasn't as good as Jeff Sims was playing against in two games where he really struggled against, um, you know, Minnesota and Colorado on the road. Um, that was a really hostile environment in Boulder. I, I know Colorado's an incomplete team in some ways, but they were fired up and it was a tough setting and Nebraska just struggled with the snap count and various stuff like that. The bottom line is Jeff Sims turned it over seven times in the first two games. I mean, it, so it's, it, it's, it's hard to, to live with that. Um, Harburg has not turned the ball over, really. Um, he's gone away with some things against lesser competition, so it makes you wonder how that will translate against a team like Michigan. Harburg is a very good runner. He's a, he, And we'll see what the, if the injury is something where it, it knocks that back a little bit. But as you said, he's been running the option. Louisiana Tech just flat let him have the lane on the option. They, they took away the pitch man, but they decided not to tackle Harburg usually. And so he was running for – he had three runs of over 30 yards. Has really good speed for a 6'4", you know, 6'5 type guy. Um, so he's he's a, he's a Nebraska native. And, um, you know, right now is a good story. But I think uh, Rule knows that there's some areas, especially in the passing game, where he has to come a long ways. The big question with Sims is I feel like he's still – on Saturday, I was watching him move around, still struggling a little bit with the lower leg injury. So I don't know if he, he will even be all the way back yet this this week. And then the the hard part is his last game, you know, was against Colorado and he didn't play well the first two games. So he's basically has two really bad experiences as Nebraska's quarterback. He's been out for a couple weeks and now, oh, yeah, you're going to go start against Michigan. It's kind of a tough uh, situation for him if he gets the call. He was supposed to be the QB one without question sort of going into this season. But right now I would say um, it's very much up in the air about who's where and Chubba Purdy would probably be the third guy in line. So if you see him, that, that tells you Nebraska's got some, uh, some, the injury stuff is real this week. Yeah. To, to kind of put a bow on Harburg uh, against Louisiana tech last week, uh, passing wise, he went eight for 17 uh, for 107 yards and a touchdown. But as you mentioned, uh, when he gets, when he hits a hole, uh, he's probably the, a dual threat runner to, 
to the level that Michigan hasn't quite seen. Although Gavin Winsett from Rutgers had had a couple nice runs last weekend. He had 19 carries for 157 yards and a touchdown, a long of 72. And yeah, you could just see him pull away uh, when he hit the hole with, uh, um, you know, the, the speed of a, of a top athlete, but the, the throwing mechanics of someone who's going to maybe need another year or two until he's up to the level that, that his ceiling certainly portends to, uh, but outside of the quarterback position, uh, who are some names to know along the rest of the offense? I know in reading some of your coverage, uh, including from the press conferences earlier this week, uh, the offensive line has really struggled in pass protection. Uh, I know the left tackle, like that position is uh, a bit of a, a big of a, a bit of a bugaboo for, for the Nebraska offense right now. So, so what's going on there? And then who are some names Michigan should know along the, the offense for, for Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, part of the problem for Nebraska is um, beyond the QB spot, their top two running backs going into the season are out for the year. Um, Gabe Irvin and Ramir Johnson were supposed to be those guys. Not only were they the top two guys probably carrying it, but they were the guys I think most trusted in pass pro and, and that sort of, you know, the parts of the game where you don't have the football in your hands. Anthony Grant is the man at running back now. There's no doubt about it. He had a good game Saturday, and he's been around the block. I mean, he, he was a starter last year and almost had 1,000 yards. He had 600 yards in the first five games last season, so he he just jumped onto the scene. And then in the Big Ten, he really kind of struggled. He was maybe going a little too much east-west. You know in this league, you've got to have that running back who – knows when a four-yard play is a good play sort of thing and doesn't turn it into a no-gain or one-yard loss. He had too much of that last year. So this will be a good test for him to see how much he's grown in that, if he can get those like extra yard or two in a game like this against a great defense. Um, he's a guy, obviously, to know. He he is capable of, of you know making someone miss and taking it to the house. So he's dangerous. Billy Kemp is another to uh, keep track of he has a high volume resume from Virginia he's a senior transferred this offseason uh he's not going to take the top off of defense he's one of those like five seven receivers who is just tough to cover in the middle of, the, of your defense and um if he catches a ball in the run he could make a big play I would think they'd go to him a lot Marcus Washington's another veteran receiver other than that they're they're pretty low on depth that proven receivers they're with proven receivers right now Thomas Fedoni's the guy to know at tight end. He was a four-star recruit. Um, Former Michigan he, target right there. Yeah, he was top uh, tight end in that class, and he suffered two serious injuries his first two years, so he basically didn't play any college football. And he's made big plays the last few weeks. He's gotten the end zone three games in a row. Um, he hasn't been targeted a, a ton, or he wasn't this past Saturday. Um, but he is a guy who I think needs to have a solid game for Nebraska to have a shot in this one. You mentioned the line Nebraska's got great rushing stats. They're like six in the country. So on paper, it looks really good. And some of that option stuff has created explosive plays. I do think there's still people in this fan base wondering like, how good are they when they go against big 10 defenses and have to line up and just churn out, four yards, four yards, you know, those sort of 10, 11 play drives you have to have sometimes. That's going to be the big question um, and test they're going to have this this week. And as you say, um, at tackle, I think Nebraska, especially left tackle, has been suspect this year. 
So can they hold up with a young, you know, with a young QB possibly uh, dealing with that Michigan pass rush? Talking to Brian Christopherson, uh, senior writer for Husker 24-7. Uh, Brian, you, you just mentioned it, and that's something that, that really stood out to me is statistically, Nebraska currently leads the Big Ten in rushing offense, also leads the Big Ten in stopping the run. Uh, they're giving up just 1.8 yards per carry. It's better than Michigan at this point in the season. Uh, pretty close, number one, number two. Uh, also leads the Big Ten in sacks. Uh, so so when Michigan has the ball, uh, what's Nebraska doing defensively that's been successful in stopping the run? Who are the guys that, you know, that, that Michigan fans should keep their eyes on? And then, you know, looking at the stats again, not quite as successful in stopping aerial attacks. So what, what are some of the issues there? Yeah, it, first off, if you ask me between Nebraska's run defense, which is ranked first, First in the country, and some it depends what which stats you look at. Some of them second, but they're right up there at the top in the country on run defense. They're only giving up 46 yards per game. Now, have they played great running offenses so far? No, they did do a nice job on Minnesota. They they made Minnesota basically go away from the run in that game. I think that is more real than Nebraska's rush offense. Actually, like to me, it feels like that there's more substance to the run defense, and the reason I say that is because Nebraska's got a nose named Nash Hutmacher. He's playing at a very high level, and he, he's a he's a force to deal with on the interior there. So if he has a solid game on Saturday, it opens up a lot of uh, tackle opportunities and plays behind the line of scrimmage for other guys. Um, that It's a good defense. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know what they're going to do this week. This is going to be their toughest test. But even against Colorado, if you look – if you watch that game, they lost 36-14. The defense was rolling in the first half. Like they had they were shutting Shadir Sanders had like 60, 60 yards passing, you know, going into the half or something like that. And then it was one of those deals where you keep turning the ball over, turning the ball over, and eventually the dam kind of breaks and the big play happens. And it, the game got a little sideways on them. But most people around here are really optimistic about what Tony White, he's a defensive coordinator, is doing. He's got a 3-3-5 scheme that is a little maybe unusual to what some teams present, and it's a very bendable defense. So like it's a 3-3-5 in label, but it can do it. They can really mess with the down linemen that they play uh, on a given snap, and sort of like a lot of movement before each um, you know each snap that I think causes some problems for some QBs. So I think uh, that's the most interesting game within the game. This Saturday is because I know they have a lot of respect for Michigan's like balanced offense. And I think Michigan's averaging 10.2 per pass attempt or something like that. If I read the stat right. I mean, so it's going to be a a better balance that they're dealing with than they've seen from any opponent so far, but it's also a confident Husker defense. So if they, if they could get a takeaway or two, that's the side of the ball which can keep Nebraska afloat in this game and maybe make it interesting. But we'll see. Brian, to your point, I you saying that reminded me that I came away from that Nebraska Colorado game feeling really bad for the Nebraska defense because you're right they they put together a very good effort through the first half, maybe first three quarters, and it just felt like the Cornhuskers offense just kept putting them in in bad situations and kept turning the ball over. And and finally, hey, as you said it, the dam broke. We'll see how 
this all plays out on Saturday, and I know it's very early in the week to be making predictions or anything of that nature. Uh, but at this point, Michigan will enter Lincoln as 19-point favorites. It's going to be the first road game of the season for the Wolverines, who have played you know three you know non-power five non-conference opponents at home, and then you know dominated Rutgers uh, to the tune of a 31 to seven win. Brian, with, with that sort of a spread, I'm not going to ask you to, to maybe make a pick in the game, but as you're watching this game on Saturday, um, what are some of the keys to the game? What are some of the things you think could swing the game one way or the other? Well, you could simply start with Nebraska went minus um, six, the first two weeks in turnovers and every week, captain obvious person can come on here and say, Hey, don't turn the ball over as much as the other team, obviously. Um, but in Nebraska's case to have a shot in this one, um, they really have to, to avoid like a multiple turnover game. I'm not saying you can't have one where you give it away or someone makes a great play or something like that. But if they go beyond that, um, I just don't give them much of a chance. Nebraska's defense as good as it has been, Ben in a lot of aspects has not created a lot of takeaways. They have four so far this year, but even that number is a little uh, bit of a, a fib because a couple of them happened really late in the game, sort of when it didn't matter. And so they're, they have talked about that a lot to win a game like this, you know, you need to turn over Michigan two or three times and have it be one of those deals where, um, maybe you get that pick six or something that you're not expecting that gets the stadium jumping and it puts a little pressure on a team playing its first road game as confident as Michigan is. And, uh, you know, as, as much as they trust who they are, um, you got to put a little stress on them early by making that kind of play, I think. So I, I think the spread is probably fair. Um, I've kind of seen it as like a 17 point type of gap, maybe if everything just holds equal. The only thing about games like these are both teams, are kind of old school in that they they will wait they will bring the play clock way down and Nebraska's like that too and you know if this is a game where each team only has 60 to 65 snaps or something I always worry for the favorite a little bit in those type of games because you you know it's one of those deals where like if the if the team that's supposed to win has that turnover I'm talking about or that really calamity play um it shortens the game considerably suddenly and then and then you're sitting there in the third quarter it's like a three-point game or something and then who knows if 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 somebody steps up and makes a play so that's going to be the key for nebraska they've they've kind of finished games except for colorado strong like they were out playing minnesota dramatically in the second half until a fumble in the last four or five minutes there um but they need a good start uh rule talks all the time about being a body blows team that wins the fourth quarter. But in this type of game, you can't have Michigan running out, you know, 10, nothing on you uh, eight minutes into the game. I feel like Nebraska's maybe got to get on the board first and kind of get, get that stadium rolling. I know this is your first time coming to Lincoln. And the reason a lot of Michigan players who have played there probably talk highly about it is that was a great game in Lincoln a couple of years ago. I mean, that was the night game and Nebraska came to the fight that night. They, 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 it was a battle and Martin, everybody remembers Adrian Martinez, I think had the fumble on the, the play where he's going to get the first down and all that stuff. Um, but Nebraska did some things um, 
you know, they made explosive plays when they were there to be made. And this team hasn't been able to do that yet. So Nebraska is going to have to maybe get that long pass play or something that we just haven't seen yet that sort of pops up and you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. And suddenly it's a game. But I think 17 is about right as far as a spread. Well, we will see how it plays out on Saturday afternoon in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's a 2.30 p.m. Central kickoff, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Very excited to go to Lincoln. First time seeing a football game there. Heard only great things. Most of the Michigan football team that we've talked to this week has raved about that atmosphere. Uh, So I'm pumped for it. Uh, And I hope, listeners, I hope you are too. Uh, So thank you, Brian, for taking us behind enemy lines. Stick around, and we are going to turn our attention to Michigan State and Ohio State. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are back, folks, on the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. Alejandro Suniga taking you behind enemy lines and turning our attention to the Michigan football team's rivals, starting with Michigan State, which fell to Maryland last Saturday uh, to fall to 2-2 two and two on the season. Uh, it was a game that, you know, statistically maybe looked better, certainly looked better than than they did the week before against Washington. Uh, but the Spartans had five turnovers, including a couple of backbreaking interceptions and a fumble uh, for, uh, that turned the game from Nathan Carter. I've got Stephen Brooks from tar- Spartan Tailgate uh, to talk about the Spartans. Steven, you were at the game. Uh, you've been following this program as it's undergone a, a very tumultuous season so far. I think there were probably some positives to take from, you know, a Michigan State team that actually outgained Maryland. Uh, but of course, five turnovers, still uncertainty at the quarterback position. Uh, what were your takeaways from the Maryland game? Yeah, that, I agree with most of those things as well. Uh, I, I guess first and foremost, it, it was that the kids haven't quit. You know, because, I mean, that was the question coming in was like, look, I mean, Washington put a number on him, obviously, as folks know. So after that, this was game four, of course, you know, so now you start to sort of wonder and watch, you know, do guys suddenly disappear or not? Um, and then they're 0-2 under Harlan Barnett. So it was just like, uh, yeah, you know, what's that, is that spirit going to be there? Is that fight going to be there? And I thought it was, you know, and I thought it was all the way throughout the game. As you know, they start 21 down. Uh, they drove it right to the one yard line, you know, after the um, uh, after the second touchdown by Maryland, I believe it was or whatever first quarter, they drive it down there. And then they, they you know, they're kind of run a kind of made a bad decision, in my opinion, and ran a weird uh, stretch run play to the outside and didn't get it there. So then they fell down 21. 
Um, but but anyway, yeah. So I thought they fought, as you said, you know, maybe there's some questions at quarterback, I think, now moving forward, just because it's the second straight game that Noah Kim has not been very effective, um, was picked off several times. So, you know, th that was sort of his his lane, you know, in terms of when he went won the job. It was a lot like Peyton Thorne. It was like he was the safe guy. He's the guy you can trust. He's the risk-averse guy. And, you know, he hasn't really been that since uh, they've started playing Power 5 teams. But, yeah, on the other hand, you know, Kate Hauser and, and the freshman Sam Levitt played. I don't think either of them, like, immediately really, like, wowed you, certainly. But, I mean, it was one drive apiece, so... I think I think I think we've seen enough from Kim to say like there should probably be more looked at those other guys and then there's some decent things defensively too I thought as well when you're talking about you know big picture takeaways from this game. It does sound like Noah Kim is going to be the starter at least for this weekend. Um, obviously, a, a lot of attention is always going to be on the quarterback, but uh, this was a sort of game that really swung quickly. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that they that Michigan State fell into a twenty-one nothing hole. I mean, Noah Kim starts a quarterback. He throws, you know, really a particularly bad interception uh, on that first series where he has a clean pocket. He's kind of thrown off his back foot and it just goes right to a Maryland defender. Um, he does, you know, he, he again starts moving the ball in the next possession. He can keep the ball on reads. He leads that drive to the one yard line. As you mentioned, it got stuffed on fourth down. Uh, Maryland turns around, drives 95 yards on 11 plays, and all of a sudden it's 14 nothing. Uh, then Nathan Carter, who, who's really, he's been the, the bell cow for, for Michigan State, right? He, he's he been active both as a running back. He carried it 19 times last week. Uh, also gets active in the pass game a bit, but he fumbles in Maryland, cashes in, makes it 21 nothing. And I mean, I think you're you're right to say that, that Michigan State fought back. Uh, they made it a bit more of a game uh, in the second half. Uh, certainly, Noah Kim's receivers didn't do him any favors. Uh, you had a couple drops, uh, right. at least one at the end of the first half that, that could have gone for a touchdown. Uh, but now Michigan State turns its attention to to Iowa in Kinnick Stadium at night, and um, two programs that have had disappointing uh, starts to the twenty twenty three season for sure. A at this point, are you just looking for a team that's going to keep fighting? Are you really keying in on hey, let's see if there's there's kids who are going to maybe be redshirting and you know retrying next year somewhere else or are you looking for specifics from Michigan State as it you know takes the show on the road at night at Kinnick yeah I, I don't want to put anything any too sort of you know stringent of like expectations on them like I still game to game just sort of don't know what to get from you know what to expect from these guys just because it's such a fragile delicate situation you know so Harlan Barnett after the um, Maryland game, you know, just sort of unprompted, you know, because we've been asking him quite a bit, you know, hey, has anybody approached you about sitting out, you know, and and, and shutting things down? And uh, unprompted after the Maryland game, he he claimed that he addressed the, the locker room and said, like, hey, if you, if you don't want to be a part of this, if, if you think this is not for you anymore, you know, no hard feelings, we'll all still care about you or whatever, but, but uh, you know, raise your hand now. And he said nobody raised their hand. And, you know, so, I mean, that's a good sign, of course, that I said I thought the body language on the field was good. Um, some of the effort I thought was there for the most part. Um, so yeah, it's, I just want to see, you know, I think you want to see him go to Iowa and compete, uh, you know, show that fight, show that energy, that spirit, if it's still there. Cause, cause when it's gone, we'll know, like, like that, that'll be pretty obvious. Um, and it's an Iowa team that, uh, you know, has, has obviously struggled to score points as, as most folks realize, um, they're just coming down sort of an embarrassing game out in Penn state. So they're going to be back at home and motivated, uh, they're, you know, from what I understand, I mean, they're 
it could be a little bit of a slap fight, I guess, you know, just because of some of their weaknesses. I mean, their QB play hasn't been there with Cade, really. O-line, I know, is is not in great shape. So maybe, you know, they can't score a lot of points. Michigan State's offense is in disarray a little bit. Maybe there's a quarterback rotation going on. Um, it, it could be a little bit of one of those. But uh, I will say, too, you know, I mean, I, I think most of them, I think most uh, reasonable, you know, warm-hearted folks will agree. Like, Michigan State's they're due for something good to happen, right? Like, I would think at this point, just the, the coin has to flip their way one of these days. Uh, and maybe they go out and put a put a great Saturday together out there this week and people can feel good about that. But it does feel like something this team's sort of due for something good to happen for a change. Well, they'll take that. Uh, hopefully, good fortune. Uh, hopefully for the Spartans, some good fortune uh, to Kinnick. Uh, at night on Saturday, uh, Spartans follow that with a bye week. And then they are at Rutgers uh, before hosting Big showdown, the big rivalry showdown against Michigan later in October. Stephen Brooks, you can follow him and all of the Michigan State content, including some coaching intel, coaching opinions, and of course, whatever's going to happen with the Spartans as a team this year over at Spartan Tailgate, part of our 24-7 Sports Network. Stephen is on Twitter or X at Stephen M underscore Brooks. That's Stephen with a PH. Stephen, thank you so much as always for joining Safe travels to Iowa. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And we will close our show as we always do with the Ohio State Buckeyes, who had one of the games of the year, uh, and certainly through the early portion of the season, in going to South Bend and beating Notre Dame 17-14 to on a walk-off touchdown, or as close as you can get it, from Chip Trainum. Ohio State is 4-0, and we have Patrick Murphy on the show. Patrick covers the Buckeyes for Bucknuts of 24-7 Sports. And Patrick, uh, before we dive too much into the Notre Dame game, I'm, I'm wondering if you can do me a favor and count to 11. <laughs> yeah, that uh, appears to be part of the problem uh, with that that play you just mentioned. Actually, the final two plays defensively for Notre Dame. I was going to say, if we, I could take a timeout, we could take a timeout and come back yeah. and then see if you can count to 11. Right. The I didn't even realize this on during the game. Um, we were you know down on the field at that point, as you know, and I'm not counting players. That's not my job. So <laughs> didn't realize it until we got to the post-game press conference room and one of the writers for another outlet looked at me and said, they only have 10 guys on the field for the final play. And I was like, I don't know. And he showed me something on Twitter. And I was like, well, that's not ideal for Notre Dame. And then I saw Marcus Freeman's comments afterwards about, well, we didn't want to get a penalty. And then as somebody quickly pointed out also on Twitter, well, it would have been like six inches. Maybe it would have been worth <laughs> it because the the area of the field that that 11th player would have been in probably would have at least helped try and stop the running back, get into the end zone. But, you know, it's not like Marcus Freeman has coached defense for a while or anything. Yikes. Well, tell you what, uh, when it comes to narratives and when it comes to college football, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game pretty much was everything that you could possibly ask for outside of maybe having Taylor Swift in one of like the luxury boxes or something like that. It was it was an awesome game. It was one of those games that, for me, is what makes college football special, right? It's two historic programs. Uh, it's a packed crowd. It's an awesome crowd. It was a great, you know, TV production all around. Uh, and then a game that lived up to it, right? It was uh, a game where it felt like every single play mattered, and literally down to the last second, 
Um, that's what it took for Ohio State to pull out the victory just moments or minutes, you know, after they'd been stuffed on a fourth down. And it seemed like the narrative could swing uh, the entire other way. And then you have the postgame press conference from Ryan Day and the postgame comments heard around the college football world uh, where he calls out our good friend Lou Holtz uh, and talks about the toughness that he thinks that his Ohio State team and the program has. Patrick, that's something that we have talked about uh, throughout the season, that that toughness and winning in the trenches and competition has been the theme, the mantra for Ohio State. I guess from your perspective, did they prove that against 10 men twice <laughs> uh, against Notre Dame? But 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 more seriously, you know, they, they went on the road. They won a low scoring game. They did so running it for the yard that they needed against the defense that they were presented against. Uh, what were your takeaways from Ryan Day's postgame press conference and, and from the game itself? Yeah, so for me, the the postgame rant, so to speak, from, from Coach Day, I think it was more like the first opportunity he's had to really kind of address what's clearly been bothering him, I imagine, more than just this past week. Um, you know, obviously, you, maybe you could have done it after beating Notre Dame last year, but I think there was plenty of other things to talk about. And then, uh, you know, you lose to Michigan. You can't claim to be tough after that. You lose to Georgia by one point, but you still lost even in a good showing. So there's not really a, a good opportunity there. I think this has just been bugging him for a while. Now, I don't think that the narrative is completely incorrect. As you pointed out, look, going on the road and beating a top 10 team, you, you have to be tough to do that. And I do think Notre Dame, is, you know, last year's Notre Dame proved not to be as good as the ranking showed. I do think this is a, a pretty good Notre Dame. We'll see what the rest of the season, um, you know, presents for them. They should certainly make sure they have the right amount of players on the field more often than not. But the it's interesting to call out the the people calling you out for being that tough when on a crucial fourth down, you try and end around your receiver as opposed to just running up the middle, like that would prove toughness, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's various definitions of toughness. If you can get the one yard, you know, you're physically tough in the trenches. And, and that's what we've talked about. You also should be able to pressure Sam Hartman more than one time in the game, uh, which is, was a big issue for Ohio state. But again, they still went and got a top 10 win on the road in a, as you mentioned, a tough environment. So like, I think depending on how you define toughness, I think Ryan Day has a point, but I also think that what Lou Holtz said isn't necessarily undone by what Ohio State did. I think they still have some of those same issues that have kind of haunted this program in some of the big games the last couple of years. And that's, those are still things that, that need to be figured out. The offensive line played better. It wasn't great. Um, you know, if you take away, I, I did the math after the game. If you took away um, the long, I think it was a 61 yard run from Travion Henderson, high state averaged 2.5 yards per carry, which I know that's not all on the offensive line, but that's certainly a, a major factor. Kyle McCord had, Good time, but was pressured some. I, I do give the offensive line credit on that final drive. I think McCord was sacked once, but more often than not, he did have time. So that was that was good to see. But again, the defensive line, just it's going to be a theme until they prove that they can get into the backfield. Um, you know, no sacks in the game. I think JT Tuomalau is credited with a tackle for a loss. 
on Sam Hartman on that final Notre Dame offensive possession. Um, you know, just in a game like that, it's actually fairly impressive that Ohio State could go on the road, not pressure the quarterback very much, and still come out with a win somehow. I do think the defense was more willing to be kind of bend, don't break. Like, you can take the underneath stuff all day. We're not going to let you score. And, and it worked for the most part. Notre Dame doesn't score until late in the third quarter. So, you know, kind of putting it all together, it worked. But, um, you know, is it sustainable in games going forward? Penn State, Michigan, on the road at Wisconsin, those type of games? I don't know. Yeah, this was a special game for me because this was the old, the first Ohio State game I've seen all year where I've been able to sit down and actually watch it all the way through live as it happened. Um, glad that the the schedule gods worked out between Michigan Rutgers and Ohio State Notre Dame to make that happen. So it meant that I could have a lot of thoughts on the Buckeyes as as the game progressed. And I think you just hit on a lot of those points. What really stood out to me is that I felt like the offensive line did a pretty good job of protecting Kyle McCord, as you said, um, especially late, especially when it mattered. I thought Notre Dame, you know, they they ended up only rushing three or four guys at, at a time where maybe they could have gotten a bit more pressure on them uh, later in the game. Um I thought he did a, a good job of spreading the ball around uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, even when he's on one ankle, you can tell uh, the type of impact he has on games, the way that defenses have to adjust uh, to to prepare for him. Uh, and probably a good thing for, for Ohio State at this point that you're turning and, and heading into a bye week uh, so that Marvin Harrison Jr. has a bit of time to rest up what well, looked like it could be a pretty devastating ankle injury. And and thankfully for him uh, and thankfully for Ohio state, he was able to return to the game uh, and looks like it was more a scare, but, but, you know, ankle injuries as many injuries do, they, they do linger. Uh, but yeah, Ohio state did enough uh, now has a bye week and, and gets to spend that bye week knowing that it has one of the most impressive wins of the college football season so far under its belt. Patrick, as you're looking ahead, um, Ohio State has the bye week, then it's hosting Maryland at Purdue, and then one of the games of the Big Ten season, one of those games that's going to define the Big Ten East, which is hosting Penn State on October 21st. What are the areas, you know, you mentioned that that Ohio State did enough, but not necessarily proved that they could go in and win the Big Ten this year. Uh, maybe not quite playing up to the level that they need to by the end of the year. Uh, and the team, as most teams do, should improve throughout the year. What are the areas uh, that you still think are question marks? Yeah, I mean, we talked about a couple of them. The offensive line, in terms of especially the run blocking, needs to get better. They need to figure out ways to to have bigger games for these running backs, um, especially if you know, not that Kyle McCord played poorly, but just kind of offensively in general, it was kind of sluggish for this game. I mean, 366 yards against Notre Dame is, is not bad. Um, but you know, you rely on one big touchdown run at the start of the second half. And then obviously a touchdown at the end, Kyle McCord doesn't throw a touchdown, which in a Ryan day offense doesn't happen very often with the quarterback. That's now the second time this year, Kyle McCord hasn't thrown a touchdown a game. Now the other one was his first real start against Indiana. Um, defensively, look, I think this team may be different than Ohio state teams we've seen in the past where, we could see more of these closer, especially as some of those games you mentioned, um, these closer wins where the defense just has to 
kind of put the the team on its back and keep Ohio State in the game. Um, you know, I thought the secondary played really well. They had trouble defending the tight end um, a little bit. It was uh, seven receptions for 75 yards for Mitchell Evans, mm-hmm. who, you know, just kind of terrorized over the middle. So that's something that they will need to work on with with certain teams coming down the schedule. But for the most part, other than the pass rush, I thought the defense played really well. Um, you know, Estime, who was came into the game as one of the best rushers in the country, only 70 yards, though they did give up 57 yards to uh, Jeremiah Love, who had, had I thought was the more impressive of the two runners. Um, so, you know, things certainly to clean up. I do agree with you. I think the bye week comes at a good time, not only for the Marvin Harrison injury. He did have like this big ice pack taped on his ankle after the game. and We saw him walk out, but not in a boot or anything like that, which is, is probably a positive. Uh, but you go into this week clearly having felt almost the loss. You know, if you're standing on the sideline, you're on the field as those seconds are ticking down. So you know, okay, we got out of there with a the win, but we have X, Y, and Z where we need to improve. But you're doing it from 4-0, right? Instead of 3-1 and where everything feels awful. And, you know, I, they can approach it either two ways. Either you get these things fixed and, and kind of look at it as, you know, we, we barely got out of there. We got out of there by the skin of our teeth. Or they don't fix these things and you're going to have problems down the road. You know, I think if you turn on the film, it's clear what needs to be done. But you know, sometimes you do need a loss. I think back to Ohio State's 2014 team a lot where you lose to Virginia Tech in the second game of the year. And, and it made it forced Ohio State to make some changes. And as you said, they got better throughout the year. Um, but I, I would think that this close loss, close win, excuse me, would would you know, force them to really dive into some of the things that that aren't going the way that they hoped. Now, as coaches across the country will tell you, best to enter improvement week, your bye week, uh, coming off a win and having tape to look at and improve after a win, uh, rather than having that same amount of improvement to make after a close loss. Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you want to follow his content and read up on Ohio State, uh, as it enters its bye week and then the meat of the Big Ten schedule for them. Uh, he is over at Bucknuts over on 24-7 Sports, and you can follow him on Twitter slash X at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. Patrick, we'll take the next week off on this show because of the bye week. Um, if you check out any local elementary schools, uh, check and see if Notre Dame is there learning how to count. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. And that will do it for this week's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. Uh, for myself, for everyone over at 24-7 and the Michigan Insider, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I I always express my excitement on this show about the upcoming week because we get just a few football games a year, and they go by very quickly. Uh, and then I spend the rest of the year, as I'm sure you do, looking forward to football season again. Uh, but this one's special because it's going on the road uh, to, to a place I've never been before and a place that's been on my bucket list, uh, at least in terms of trying to knock off all the Big Ten stadiums before that gets significantly harder. So I'm, I'm pumped for it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this show. If you are interested in a ton more preview content uh, and a lot more intel about the Michigan football team, about the basketball team as it begins practice, we're going to be doing hockey coverage because that's starting very soon. Uh, And of course, always recruiting. Recruiting is always happening. You can find that over at michigan.247sports.com or themichiganinsider.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you at Memorial Stadium.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.